0: rise and
1: shine (音楽) (音楽) Africa Zorna Africa Amuka Na Unai
2: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, US President Donald Trump faces second impeachment trial Concerns over the plight of Central African Republic refugees in the DRC. In economics news, Kenya in new attempt to set up strategic fuel reserves and in sports news, Pakistan women's cricket squad arrives in South Africa. But first up the news with Amisa.
1: SABC News, independent and impartial from an African from perspective.
3: perspective.
4: Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. 38 year old pop star Robert Kuyagulani, known by his stage name bob Wine, is challenging one of Africa's longest serving leaders in Uganda's hotly contested election. Wine says he represents the country's younger generation, while Yoweri Museveni says he's standing for stability. The campaign has been marked by serious violence, which has seen dozens of people killed. The government has ordered a block on all social media. President Museveni says this was because Facebook had banned several accounts which backed his ruling party. Polls are expected to open at 7 a.m. local time with results not expected before Saturday. Museveni seeking his sixth elected term in office after 35 years in power. Ethiopia's army has announced that it has killed former Foreign Minister Siom Mesfin, one of the founding members of the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Siyom, who served as Foreign Minister from 1991 until 2010, was killed along with three other senior TPLF members in the northern Tigray region. The government had issued a warrant for his arrest along with other top figures in the party following the military operation in Tigray in November. A reward of 254,000 US dollars for tips leading to their arrest was also offered. The army says they were requested to surrender but refused to do so. Dozens of other TPLF members had been killed and arrested in its latest operation. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to impeach President Donald Trump for inciting insurrection. This comes a week after his supporters stormed the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Trump has become the first president to be impeached. The Democrat leader of the House, Nancy Pelosi, spoke after the vote.
5: Today, in a bipartisan way, the House demonstrated that no one is above the law, not even the President of the United States. And now... I sadly, and with a heart broken over what this means to our country, of a president who would incite insurrection, will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment.
4: Ten Republicans joined Democrats to put the president on trial in the Senate. If convicted, Trump could lose all presidential uh, benefits and be banned from holding public office. The BBC's John Sopel has more.
6: What happens next? Well, the trial will take place uh, in the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, the current Republican majority leader, says it's not going to happen before Joe Biden takes over as president. So there's going to be some delay And that will raise the question in many people's minds, well, what's the point of going ahead with this if Donald Trump has already left office? Well, one is it could debar him from ever holding office again. But the point that a Democratic congressman made when asked that question, he said, yeah, it may be late, but it is never too late to do the right thing.
4: The World Health Organization has expressed concern about the spread of the new highly infectious coronavirus variants in South African Britain. They are reported to have spread to other countries. The BBC's
7: Emergent Folks has more. Everyone wants an end to lockdowns and a return to the things that make life fun. Holidays, dinners in restaurants, meeting friends. But today, the WHO brought a cold dose of reality to those hopes. This second year of the pandemic could be even tougher than the first. New variants of the virus are being reported. And while so far they don't make infected patients more ill, some do spread much more easily.
4: And that's the news headlines at 7:30 Central African Time.
1: SABC News: Independent and impartial.
3: From an African perspective.
2: Thank you, Anna. It's, five, it's 7.05 right? the Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Aid agencies have expressed concerns over the humanitarian situation of thousands of people from the Central African Republic who recently arrived in the Democratic Republic of Congo fleeing post-election violence in their country. Most of them are living in host communities and their needs are so urgent. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa.
8: More than 24,000 newcomers have been registered these last days, bringing to over 40,000 the number of Central Africans who have crossed the Ubangi River to seek asylum here in the DRC. The Central African asylum seekers continue to enter the Northwestern Democratic Republic of Congo up to now due to ongoing poor security situation in the Central African Republic. The UN High Commission for Refugees has boosted its team along Ubangi River to respond to the newcomers' needs, according to Johannes van Gemont, the UNHCR communication officer here in the Democratic Republic of Congo's capital city, Kinshasa.
9: Most of the new arrivals have crossed the Ubangi River into the DRC's provinces of Basuele and North Ubangi. UNHCR has strengthened its presence along the Ubangi River to respond to the needs of the new arrivals. Violence and insecurity surrounding the 27 December general election in the Central African Republic has forced over 40,000 people to flee into the Democratic Republic of the Congo, according to today's estimates. We are preparing for registration and also for temporary relocation further inland for safety reasons.
8: Most of these people are living in host communities and indeed the humanitarian situation is so serious since local communities themselves lack resources to meet their own needs. Johannes van Gemund, the UN High Commission for Refugees communication officer then believes needs are so urgent.
9: They urgently need proper shelter, water, access to health services, and adequate sanitation. Most of the arrivals are staying with host communities or in makeshift shelters. The situation is difficult. For example, the arrival of some 15,000 people from Car in one village alone shows the enormous strain placed on the resources and on the host families. 15,000 people have arrived in Endu village in Basuele province. That has a population of just 3,500 people. We're also trying to move people a few kilometers away from Endu village, and from the river that forms the border with CAR to prevent them getting wounded if there's fighting on the other side of the border.
8: Meanwhile, the UNHCR is working closely with the DRC authorities and other humanitarian partners to provide the support. Jean-Noel Bamoise for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
2: The United States House of Representatives has voted to impeach President Donald Trump for a historic second time after Democrats charged him with the incitement of insurrection over last Wednesday's assault on the Congress. The single article of impeachment charges him with uh, high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States over the false claims about election fraud leading up to the insurrection. The move in the White House follows a vote yesterday formally calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove the sitting president, something Pence has since declined to do. Sharon Bryce, Peace reports.
0: The article of impeachment says President Trump's conduct on January 6th, when the Capitol was stormed by his supporters, followed his prior efforts to subvert and obstruct the certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election, including his attempt to influence the Georgia Secretary of State to find enough votes to overturn the election result. Additionally, he's charged with interfering with the peaceful transfer of power, imperiled a co-equal branch of government, and thereby betraying his trust as president to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. This was the moment the vote was gaveled.
5: On this vote, the ayes are 232, the nays are 197. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table.
0: Earlier, lawmakers were able to make their case both in support of or against impeaching the president, Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
5: We know that the president of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love.
0: Maxine Waters is the firebrand congresswoman from California.
3: I rise in support of impeaching again, the worst president in the history of the United States. Since his first day in office, this president has spent four years abusing his power, lying, embracing authoritarianism, radicalizing his supporters against democracy. This corruption poisoned the minds of his supporters, inciting them to willingly join with white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and paramilitary extremists in a siege of the United States Capitol building. seat of American democracy. The, Repo- the Republican Party is now the Trump Party, and he is capable of starting a civil war. He must be impeached. He must be stopped now.
0: The majority of lawmakers from the president's party criticized the rushed process just one week before his term in office expires but many could not avoid holding the president accountable even if they didn't support impeachment at this time. Kevin McCarthy is the Republican minority leader in the House.
3: The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility, quell the brewing unrest, and ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his term. And the President's immediate action also deserves congressional action, which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. Unfortunately, that is not where we are today.
0: While some 10 Republicans voted in support of impeachment despite some concerns, among them House Member Dan Nuas,
6: These articles of impeachment are flawed, but I will not use process as an excuse. There is no excuse for President Trump's actions. The president took an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Last week, there was a domestic threat at the door of the Capitol, and he did nothing to stop it. That is why, with a heavy heart and clear resolve, I will vote yes on these articles of impeachment. The decision
0: now rests with the Speaker as to when she will dispatch the article of impeachment to the Senate. That must determine the President's guilt or innocence in a trial. The Senate is unlikely to convene until after Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th, which means the trial could happen well after President Trump has vacated the White House as a one-term president impeached twice. I'm Sherman bryce Peas in New York.
9: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
6: What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government
1: concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NEDLAC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to
10: create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs.
11: Elf. I tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have.
12: Channel Africa.
2: It's 7.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Human Rights Watch says U.S. President-elect Joe Biden should work with global leaders who have sought to shore up a global defense of human rights around the world. In its World Report 2021, released on Wednesday, the organization says his administration should also look for ways to enrich to entrench respect for human rights in U.S. policies that are more likely to survive the radical changes among administrations that have become a fixture of the U.S. political landscape. To discuss this further, Samora Mangesi spoke to Dewa Mabinga, Human Rights Watch Southern Africa director.
1: It's a, a huge opportunity for a, a fresh start for the U.S. government uh, given that uh, Joe Biden is coming uh, and, uh, on the back of uh, really troubling and concerning policies that were pursued by outgoing President Donald Trump. And so it is really uh, an appeal and, um, uh, to the U.S. government to place human rights at the center of this foreign policy agenda in ways that would address the damage that was done under the previous administration. And what
10: must his administration do in order to ensure that it entrenches respect for human rights in U.S.
11: policy?
1: Well, well to begin with, if you're looking at Africa, a, a more uh, purposeful and direct focus uh, on uh, rogue or pariah you know, For example, what's happening in Uganda, uh, there is need for the U.S. to show action that it um, uh, condemns human rights abuses um, and it needs to speak out more when you look at, you know, uh, problem countries like Zimbabwe, uh, you know, what's happening in, in Ethiopia. Uh, we are expecting basically uh, leadership from the U.S. government under uh, uh, President Joe Biden, uh, leadership that was sorely lacking uh, uh, with uh, President Trump.
10: And how should the incoming U.S. administration embed respect for human rights in its foreign policy?
1: Well, I... I... Mostly it would be uh, through, you know, uh, resources, uh, support, uh, for example, to uh, the multilateral institutions that promote and protect human rights, for example, uh, the uh, UN uh, United Nations um, uh, Human Rights Council. Uh, you know, the, the, under President uh, Trump, uh, there was um, a movement back and a withdrawal of funds. So, a funding of key institutions is very important. Uh, so for example if you look at uh, you know the fight you know to combat the uh, global covid-19 pandemic uh, a major human rights issue uh, there is need for the us to uh, put funding to support the world health organization to support the un human rights council to support african institutions uh, that uh, speak up and defend human rights this is uh, one of the key ways in which you know the US foreign policy can be you know can be uh, outlined and be used to enhance human rights respect
10: and how did Donald Trump's administration do when it comes to respecting human rights
1: well it, it was i think for for everyone to see particularly events of last week you know the, the you know attacks uh, the, the violence on capitol hill but more broadly over 4 years uh, there was a general disregard Of uh, human rights values, uh, which was quite consistent in in some ways, which emboldened, you know, rogue states that then began to question, uh, you know, America's position as a human rights champion. So, in many ways, Donald Trump undermined respect for human rights, removed uh, the U.S. leadership, and emboldened rogue states and completely ignored, you know, hotspots uh, whole spot of human rights abuses um, uh, on the African continent, you know, with China, uh, with Russia, and, uh, in, in Europe. And this has uh, uh, to stop. And uh, President Joe Biden has this important opportunity now uh, to address that and to take corrective measures and to uh, place human rights back at the center of you know, the uh, foreign policy agenda as well as the domestic uh, uh, policy agenda of the U.S. government.
10: And what mistakes should President-elect Joe Biden not repeat from his predecessor when it comes to respecting the human rights?
1: I think to begin with, um, um, uh, one of the biggest mistakes uh, that uh, President Trump uh, uh, performed that needs not be repeated is to ignore, you know, human rights concerns uh, to uh, cut critical funding uh, from key human rights institutions uh, to uh, take a unilateral position or for uh, disregard for uh, other nations' concerns, uh, which was much more pronounced under Trump, and these are the mistakes that uh, uh, President Biden should avoid. He should ensure that when they speak about human rights respect, so the the, the policies must be backed up by action and by resources, by funding to uh, civil society groups, by funding. Institutions that are working
2: hard uh, to promote yeah. and protect human rights globally. There was Dewa Mabinga, Human Rights Watch Southern Africa director, speaking to Samora Mangesi. When I think back to my
13: childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black, and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger, in a South Africa that was hostile.
1: Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa. Rise. Channel Africa from an African perspective.
2: At 721 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Breaching level 3 lockdown regulations in South Africa could result in a hefty fine and imprisonment of up to six months. This is according to the Ministry of Police, which says officers will be out in their numbers across the country to enforce the lockdown regulations. Breaking curfew could result in a 3,000 rand fine, while failure to wear a mask in public could cost you 1,500. Rand. The Ministry says fines may also be accompanied by a jail sentence not exceeding six months, and that criminal records could await those that are found guilty. Sasha Naidu reports.
14: As South Africa continues to battle the coronavirus pandemic, the police are taking a tough line against those found contravening the lockdown. Citizens are currently subjected to adjusted level 3 lockdown regulations because of a surge in COVID-19 infections. The ban on alcohol sales and earlier curfew, compulsory mask-wearing as well as limits of no more than 50 people at funerals are now the new norm. Spokesperson for the Minister of Police, Liran Zutemba, says those found guilty of breaching lockdown regulations could end up with a criminal record.
13: A few options when you are arrested. You are liable to a fine or imprisonment uh, not exceeding six months or both in some instances. But, of course, we know that when you are arrested, you can uh, accept an admission of guilt at a police station. And, unfortunately, this may result in a criminal record. Um, If you are not able to pay that fine, you are not able to, to, to leave the police station at that time. Unfortunately, you'll have to appear before a magistrate.
14: Temba says more than 20,000 arrests have already been made across the country for breaching the lockdown since Level 3 regulations had been introduced in late December. She says that the majority of cases are for illegal gatherings, defying the 9pm curfew and for being in possession of contraband substances, including alcohol.
13: The police minister has called on all South Africans to heed government's call and adhere to the adjusted lockdown regulations. Minister Kele has noted with great concern the arrest of 7,455 citizens who were caught not wearing masks in public. A further 834 people were arrested for liquor-related infringements, such as the sale, dispensing, distribution and transportation of alcohol.
14: But according to legal expert Sabir Ahmad Jazbai, you can't be arrested and jailed for breaching certain lockdown regulations, including illegal gatherings and not wearing a
15: mask. If you violate or breach a regulation that is validly enacted and of course there are are legal consequences, not criminal consequences, legal consequences. You are not a criminal if you break a regulation. Therefore the police do not have the right to arrest you. They can warn you and give you a warning statement. Either you go and pay a fine in court or you appear in court at a designated date. So this is critically important as I share this with the listeners that you cannot be arrested and put into jail for breaching those, those regulations. That is not in the, in the books.
14: Jazz by says you can only be criminally charged if you are found in possession of contraband substances including alcohol.
15: If you are caught carrying alcohol or anything contraband in terms, of, uh, 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 in terms of regulation, when you have
14: committed a crime, that is the consequences you face. According to the Minister of Police, over 342,000 people have been arrested for contravening the Disaster Management Act since the lockdown had first been introduced in March last year. Sasha and I do SABC News, Johannesburg.
2: While SARS-CoV-2 has been less known to impact young children, a South African mother who almost lost her five-month-old baby to the coronavirus is warning otherwise. The National Institute for Communicable Diseases says children have been found to be more resilient to the virus. Despite this, they are warning that prescribed health measures must also be applied to children. Prabhashni Mudli reports.
7: A trip to sunny Durban for the Christmas break almost ended in death for a Johannesburg family. After returning to the Rakhayalami home on the 1st of January, they found out that a family member they had interacted with in Durban had tested COVID positive. Mother of two, Candice Vanikerk, shared her audio on Facebook. She says she was naive about the virus until her 5-month-old son, Ben, developed symptoms and had to be hospitalized.
3: We didn't test the kids because we were under the impression that even if they were infected, they weren't going to suffer from any real illness, which as it turned out was naive. On the Monday morning, we got our results back. I tested negative, my husband tested positive, but also Ben woke up with what sounded like a rattle when he breathed in his chest. It was bad. He'd had a runny nose. I kind of started to panic a little bit. 2 a.m. on the Tuesday morning, and when he was lying in his cot, eyes open, burning boiling to touch and we rushed him into the emergency room after putting him into a lukewarm bath
7: she left the hospital with her baby after his temperature subsided only to have it climb again they rushed him to a pediatrician who admitted Ben to the pediatric COVID-19 unit in her post funny carx says the ward had been filled with young children fighting for their
3: lives He's still taking loads of medication. He's not 100% yet, but I think we're definitely over the worst of it. My frustration and the reason that I shared that post, I felt so guilty because of my naivety. I had no idea that this could happen to my children. And had I known, I probably wouldn't have gone to Durban. We genuinely believe that we were going to lose bed on Tuesday. You cannot understand how helpless you feel, and it's truly, truly terrifying.
7: Pediatrician at the Chris Hani Baraguanath Hospital in Soweto, Professor David Moore, says that since December 2020, the hospital has seen an increase in children presenting with COVID 19 symptoms. He says that since the start of the pandemic, over 200 children have been treated at Africa's largest health facility for the virus and that 23 COVID-19-related deaths have been recorded.
16: Well, throughout the course of the pandemic, we've had to make quite dramatic changes to the functioning of the pediatric department. Um, During the first wave of the pandemic, we had 12% of our patients presenting with confirmed COVID disease. And currently, again, we're peaking at 10% of our admission. We have had a substantial number of pediatric cases of COVID throughout the course of the pandemic, and we've had... 210 confirmed cases, um, and most of those have required hospitalization."
7: Take a stroll to your local supermarket or mall and you'll find many children roaming around with no masks. Acting Executive Director at the Institute for Communicable Diseases, Professor Adrian Purin, says while there's no clinical proof that children are now at an increased risk of contracting the coronavirus, prescribed health protocols must apply to all children.
0: The children are not as markedly affected as adults are in clinical presentation. We're not seeing that this particular virus has a more severe presentation in terms of symptoms. They certainly are infected and they certainly are hospitalized, but that pattern has not dramatically changed from
15: the first surge that
0: we had. Just because children are less affected, we still need to have the same levels of caution as we would have for adults. They should really be wearing masks. We should really try and limit our exposure in terms of closed spaces, crowded spaces, for example, close contact. All
3: those same rules apply to children as well.
7: Pediatric experts say that most children that contract COVID-19 will have mild symptoms and won't need to be hospitalized. But that would not be the case for all children. prabhashni Mudli, SABC News, Johannesburg. It's
2: 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Moussa.
1: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African From perspective.
3: perspective.
4: Aman Musa. good morning. In the headlines, Uganda's communications authority has ordered all the country's internet service providers to shut down internet access ahead of elections today. Ethiopia's army has announced that it has killed former foreign minister Siyom Mesfin, one of the founding members of the Tigray People's Liberation Front. And the African Union has ordered an additional 270 million COVID-19 vaccine doses for its member states as they battle a second wave of the pandemic. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African African
17: perspective. perspective. Follow
13: Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1 and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za Channel Africa, from an African perspective.
2: It's 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The participation of political parties in the fight against the coronavirus has diminished over the last 10 months in South Africa. While parties showed wholehearted support for government's efforts at the beginning of the pandemic, court cases recriminations and now the prospect of gaining advantage in local elections appear to have squandered the trust and unity that originally existed. Busi Chimonbe looks at how parties can effectively play a role in mitigating the impact of COVID-19 as the country battles a second wave of the pandemic.
13: In March last year, when the coronavirus hit South Africa's shores, relations between government and political parties were at an all-time high. Opposition leaders pledged their support for the efforts to curb the virus, contributing towards the Solidarity Fund, and doing their bit in distributing food parcels to struggling communities. Now, 10 months into the national lockdown, a very different turn by political parties regarding the government's response to the fight against the pandemic. COPE spokesperson Dennis Bloom
1: President Ramaphosa must not only meet with provincial health MECs in reviewing level 3. He must meet with all political parties in parliament like before. COVID-19 knows no politician, no president, no political party. It sweeps anything in its way. Therefore, it needs all hands on deck.
13: The cracks had already begun to show, however. The DA embarked on a number of court challenges and together with the Freedom Front Plus sought to have the Disaster Management Act declared unconstitutional. In June last year, EFF leader Julius Malema declared that his party would no longer be part of consultations with President Cyril Ramaphosa. There
1: is another program being driven somewhere with the President which exclude political party leaders and exclude even the cabinet itself. Because when you announce cigarettes, members of the uh, command council were not in agreement. And that's why you had to be embarrassed the way it is. is. It means there is a kitchen cabinet somewhere that runs this country. And therefore, we are used to legitimise uh, those kitchen cabinet decisions.
13: In the latest solver, the DA has suggested that the president's claim that government has been working on vaccine acquisition for six months is false, saying the government's reluctance to secure a full supply of vaccines from reputable suppliers is because the politically connected are hoping to score kickbacks from Chinese and Russian suppliers. Political analyst Ivo Sarakinsky says it is sad that some opposition parties have chosen to use the pandemic to score points,
6: government has a mandate to respond to the pandemic and it becomes difficult to collaborate with parties who are challenging you and questioning you and contradicting everything you do in order to perhaps score points
13: in the lead-up to the local government elections later this year. Sarakinski says there are a number of ways in which political parties can up their game.
6: Perform a proper oversight function in local, provincial and national parliaments to keep government to account, to make sure that the money allocated is used properly. And also they need to become part of the national discourse to deal with uh, the challenge. There's so much positive that's happening in the Western Cape in terms of managing the pandemic. And if the DA had to bring that messaging from the province into the national discourse, Instead of complaining and whining, it would just be constructive,
13: but it would also be advantageous to the DA as a political party as well. Whether political parties have been relegated by government or have confined themselves to the margins of the fight of the pandemic, this does not augur well for a country that is straining under the wave of a second pandemic, one requiring a concerted and united effort.
2: That report by Busi Chimombe. South Africa's parliament is silent on how many of its staff members, including MPs, have tested positive for the coronavirus and those who subsequently died. This is despite the institution having established a COVID-19 rapid response team, which meets every week. Parliament could not provide information on how many MPs tested positive since the outbreak of the virus last year. Spokesperson Moloto Mutapo says public representatives are not obliged to divulge their COVID-19 status and as a result, Parliament is unable to source such information. Abongwe Kobokan reports.
18: It is not clear why Parliament is not making public the number of its employees who are affected by the virus. Spokesperson to Parliament, Muloto Mutapo, has promised to source the information from the Office of Compliance in Parliament. The majority of support staff in Parliament is currently working from home since last year, and the institution has been complying with the COVID-19 protocols ever since. Labor Union in Parliament, the National Education, Health and the Light Workers Union has commended the work of Parliament. Now, House Secretary General Temba Kubula is explaining their reasons for praising the employer. We say this because as far back as March 2020, when the COVID-19 situation became serious in South Africa, Parliament was among the first employers to ask its employees who could work from home to do so in an endeavor. To reduce the number of employees that could congregate um, in the parliamentary precinct. Parliament further moved swiftly to establish what we call a COVID-19 rapid response testing, a committee that comprises heads of divisions in parliament as well as the union. kubola also expressed satisfaction on how parliament has complied with the COVID-19 regulations when it comes to issues such as social distancing, in the precinct, that committee made sure that parliament was deep cleansed and that there were sanitization stations all around the precinct and that employees had adequate PPE to can conduct their work. That committee also made sure that the nurses stationed at parliament to screen the employees that would be required to come into work. Uh, on daily basis. Meanwhile, the DA is the only party that has revealed that two of its MPs have since died due to COVID nineteen and eight of them have recuperated after they had tested positive. Abongwe Kobokan ABC News at Parliament.
2: India has begun culling thousands of poultry birds after crows, ducks and wild geese in parts of a country tested positive for avian influenza. The national government appealed for calm amid worries the virus could damage business, which is projected to more than double by the year 2024. From New Delhi, Rana Sen has more.
12: Asia's largest poultry market in capital Delhi was shut down as a precaution this week. And preventive medicine expert Upali Nanda warned the virus that causes avian flu can hop even from human to human.
16: It can infect other birds and animal species. Human infections are very rare. It can happen if you come in close contact with the infected birds or uh, if you are touching infected bird droppings and then touching your uh, eyes, nose, Or if you are handling poultry which is infected. So these are the ways in which you can get infected. And thereby the spread can happen from humans to humans.
12: People were being advised not to touch dead or sick birds. But Vijay Sardana of Poultry Federation of India a National Trade Lobby said consumers need not get in such a flap those who are living with birds day in day out. Not a single case ever reported. So this way of looking at it, it can jump and it can create this pandemic or epidemic. Let's not create scaremongering. Like any other influenza, we get cold during the change in climate. That's why you will find that these bird flus, very often you notice in cold climate because when there is a drop in temperature, the survival of viruses become more aggressive. Normal viral treatment medicine are effective up to 90%. It is a proven record in medical science but vijay shankar pandey a prominent former bureaucrat called for extreme care as the government sounded an alert even while battling the coronavirus pandemic
19: first time in 2006 bird flu outbreak was you know notified in our country almost 14 years have passed and our system has enough experience of how exactly to go about it so it is good that government of india has very early announced and told the states that be careful some kind of bird flu infection are being noticed in the birds so the first and foremost thing is you have to be very careful because we eat a lot of this stuff it has not happened in the past that's very well settled but it will not happen in the future not known
12: the authorities were culling poultry birds as officials warned bird flu had killed wild geese in the forests of three of the ten affected states
19: the state governments have very set protocol in a sense that when the outbreak is announced, it is declared, then all the poultry farms and all the bird farms, every space is monitored very carefully, and those who are you know managing those affairs are also made very much aware that what exactly is happening, so be very careful. People who are handling birds are aware, but every time they have to be told if in case there is any new virus, mutations of viruses are coming, so that they are prepared to handle that.
12: The assurance from Pandey came after the government deployed federal experts in two of the 10 states to help local authorities speed up their containment plans
2: that report by Rana sen the south african broadcasting corporation says it is confident that it will complete its international recruitment process in two weeks The SABC has given letters of notice to hundreds of staff members of either redundancy or surplus. Yesterday, on Wednesday, the first batch of positions were advertised in the Human Resources Division. The public broadcaster is expecting to complete the Section 189 process by February. Angela Boulan reports.
16: Then, for example, we've got 170 vacancies and our planning is based around that. But hypothetically say, if a 100 people opt for VSP or early retirement, there's an additional 100 positions left. So it's very difficult to say at this stage, but um, we are on track to make the current timelines.
10: But this will only happen if the SABC is able to avert a possible strike. Both the unions at the public broadcaster are in favour of a strike which they threaten will result in a blackout at the public broadcaster. CW's Aubrey Chabalada says the number of those who will be retrenched may have dropped to 303, but they doubt that the SABC will keep to their word.
18: Our members said that we must embark on industrial action to try to stop ACBC uh, going ahead with this uh, uh, retrenchment process. Obviously, we have to look at the strategies, what can be done uh, considering the fact that we are under lockdown level 3 with regulations, but over and above that is the fact that people are dying of COVID-19, so we don't want to risk our members to that uh, situation.
10: Another SABC workers' union, Bamao, says they've met with CWU and have decided to write to the board requesting an urgent meeting on the Section 189 process. Bamao's Highness Dubisson says if the board does not respond positively, there will be a strike.
9: The meeting has resolved that should the board refuse to meet with uh, Labour at the SABC, that is uh, Bamao and the CWU, that uh, Bamao members will then proceed to participate in the strike that has already been filed by the CWU. We trust that this will not be necessary and that we will not be forced to resort to such drastic measures
10: bbc has meanwhile refuted allegations that it intends to close down african language stations it also denies claims that it intends to discontinue
2: african language news bulletins on television that report by angela bulwana it's 7:45 central african time and our economics updates up next with tabisola hawk
17: A very good morning. Uganda's communications authority has ordered all the country's internet service providers to shut down internet access ahead of elections on Thursday. The Executive Director, Irene Kagwa, says that the suspension took effect from Wednesday at seven PM Central African time and will continue until further notice. As the Commission ordered telecommunications companies are to immediately suspend any access and use of social media and online messaging platforms. Sarah Kimani reports.
13: President Yuri Museveni, who has been in power since 1986, is seeking a sixth term. He faces stiff opposition from musician and politician Robert Chagulanyi Sentamu, popularly known as Bobby Wine. Meanwhile, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called on all political actors and their supporters to publicly commit to conduct their political activities peacefully and refrain from incitement to violence or hate speech. Sarah Kimani, SBC News.
17: The International Monetary Fund has approved the disbursement of 488 million US dollars to Angola this week, saying although public debt is high, there is confidence that it is sustainable. The release of the funds comes at a time when the country is in bad shape due to the economic fallout caused by the COVID 19 pandemic. According to the fund, Angolan authorities have managed to maintain a robust policy response in the face of challenges such as weak oil production and process and the continuing health and social impact of the pandemic. A research firm says Zimbabwe's Econet Wireless has seen narrowing losses this financial year before returning to profitability next year as stability in its exchange rate is expected to reduce foreign currency exchange losses. Brokerage firm IH Securities says during this financial year, which ends in February, Profitability is likely to remain under pressure as the group has already accrued foreign exchange losses during the first half. Econet will likely record five twenty one percent growth in revenue to twenty one point six two billion U S dollars in the fiscal year twenty twenty one from three point four eight billion U S dollars during the same period in twenty twenty former south africa's power utility Eskom acting director general at the public enterprises department matthi is expected to give evidence at the commission of inquiry into state capture in johannesburg the commission will also hear evidence from former trillion financial advisory ceo masilo motepu on Wednesday, the Commission heard how a security company that former Communications Minister Sipi owns allegedly secured an irregular tender with the Transnet worth 7 million US dollars the contract was terminated in 2010 due to a breach of contract this was despite resistance from the state-owned company's former ceo siabonga kama bowman gilfilin attorney's director chris todd who gave evidence said nyanda's company did not even have employees and failed to show what services it had rendered to transnet
15: it was
18: all a fraud a scam inappropriate the wrong thing was done here. But in fact, what happens over a period of time, as we see, is that the management within TFR, which Mr. Garmer is again leading, now starts to say, actually, there's no reason to sue these people. And I'm paraphrasing. There were long periods of silence when we had no instructions and nothing was really happening. But then we got requests to say, we've had monthly reports from them about the services they've rendered. Doesn't that show that they actually did the work?
17: Fruit crops in the Langkluif in South Africa's Eastern Cape province have suffered severe damage after a hailstorm lashed at the area. Many of the apple, pear, and plum orchards have been ruined. On some farms, farmers will assess at the damage in the next few days. grow representative in the Langkluif, Marius van der Vestesen.
6: Areas that was affected was Uniondale parts of Harlem, Ongelegen and uh, the Mischend area of the Langkloof. These areas present about 1500 to 1600 hectares of the greater Langkloof area, which is about 5500 hectares of apple and pear orchards. So it's quite a substantial um, part of the Langkloof that's been affected.
17: The US dollar is trading at three hundred seventy nine ninety four Nigerian Nara ten ninety one Botswana Pula one oh eight eighty nine Kenyan shilling twenty one nineteen Zambian kwacha, fifteen twenty four Namibian dollar and seven fifty eight thirty Malawian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, one US dollar is trading at five rule thirty one, Russia seventy three rubles sixty three, India seventy three rupees twelve, China, sixty one forty six and in South Africa a dollar is trading at fifteen round 24 the u.s dollar is also trading at 73 pence to the british pound and 82 cents to euro gold 1,000 dollars and platinum 1098 dollars per ounce brand crude 55 dollars 92 cents a barrel from an african perspective
2: Our sports updates up next with Neto Cimani.
11: Thank you, Lulu. From the sports desk, a very good morning. Starting off with Cricket News. South Africa's senior women's cricket team is getting ready to face Pakistan in three ODIs and three T20 internationals later this month. The South African women's Society will be back to playing international cricket after a coronavirus forced hiatus. The tour will begin with a warm-up match at Devon's Chatsworth Oval on January sixteenth against the South African Imagine Squad before the ODI series commences at the nearby Hollywood Beds Kingsmade Stadium on January 20th. Momentum Protea's head coach Hilton Moran speaks on what they wanted to achieve after a year of inactivity.
9: I think um, for us, the the most important exciting thing for us is an opportunity to play cricket. I mean, it's a year that uh, we haven't had competitive cricket. So for us, it's just to get on the park first and then we can start taking it from there. So we had a lot of warm-up games, we had a lot of camps, and those have went well, but you can only play for so long. An opportunity to see where the squad is, and when with the new youngsters that we have, with high performance, hopefully one of them can put up their hand when they give an opportunity because the squads are now as not as normal as we used to. It's a bigger squads and you never know what can happen with this new norm. So, for us, is uh, at the end of the day when you when representing your country, you play to win. So, Pakistan is also going to come with the same, and I think both teams are looking forward to us to have an opportunity to play again. So,
11: On to swimming news. The new year is only two weeks in and already major sporting events are tweaking their calendars and conditions as it becomes clear that COVID-19 is here to stay, despite a global vaccine rollout. Swimming South Africa SSA high-performance manager Dean Price speaks on the association's mechanisms to stage their events as planned in preparation for Tokyo Olympics.
6: You know, obviously we, everyone in South Africa has been under restrictions and we've been limited in many ways, but, you know, we, we have to keep our vision on the future. And, um, you know, we don't know whether Olympics is going to take place or not, but we have to, that it is, and we have to prepare our athletes. So what we've looked to do, we've looked to establish and hold some training camps that came into Nelsprates. They spent one week training, um, in beautiful conditions. The weather was great. We trained in a 50 meter pool. We worked really hard at the end of the, of the week of hard training. We stood up and did a, a Grand Prix competition, and uh, it was actually fantastic. Women
11: so in South Africa have already identified the relay teams to represent the country at the Tokyo Olympics so later this year. Dean Hasmo.
6: We, we picked our relay teams. We've got the, the women's 4x100, 4 200 freestyle, and the 4x100 um, medley relay. And the same with the boys. And we, so we're looking to get um, those teams to try qualify for Olympics. Uh, where we have to qualify is at our SA Nationals, which are going to be held from the 7th to the 12th of April. That's when we have to put them together and try to uh, get the qualifying times. So at this point, we're trying to get all these, these swimmers in top shape so we can qualify relays for the Olympics. So we're focusing on that because um, if we get four good ones, the top one, of the, the number one has to be really good. So we're really focusing on that and uh, we're really positive that we're going to get some great sums at, uh, in April. And
11: finally, in Hockey News... Kenya National Women's Hockey Team, Captain Strathmore University's Scorpions attacker, Gili Ogumu, has revived her football career after joining Matara United Women's Football Team. Ogumu featured for the Slam Girls as they went down one 0 to Mokalandas during Women's Football Kenya Federation Premier League Zone A tie at the Stima Members Club on Sunday. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chemani.
8: Africa rise and shine
12: Africa thosa Africa amika na unay.
2: That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutu Ramagaza, technical producer Dumila Mugwena and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Murudi Shumba with a track titled Muloi.
16: Marera caerna, que la caerna, que que le gusta la caerna, que la caerna, que le gusta la caerna, que le gusta la caerna, que le la I caenna not le che na I'm a little bit